All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Welcome down the security rabbit hole to another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf. I have a cadre of awesome guests today. Uh, two, well, actually, two returning uh, and 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 the host. So, James uh, Jardine, my co-host. Welcome back. Yes, thank you. I was looking forward to this. It's uh, it's nice to have four squares instead of the three that we usually have. It's a nice nice yeah. change up. Yeah, we'll play Foursquare. Uh, in the top right-hand corner, <laughs> returning uh, megastar, uh, James Beeson. By the way, James, uh, uh, Joe DiBiaz says hi. I just recorded one with him. So Nice. Nice. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> and uh, in the bottom Glad right-hand square, which is that way, I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right. Uh, <laughs> that's Mr. Tom Venables, now a resident of good old Atlanta. Welcome, man. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. All right. So in a episode uh, on procurement, uh, some of you may be thinking, what the hell does procurement have to do with security? And that is the problem exactly. <laughs> so, Tom, <laughs> why don't you set this one up for us? Because this was your idea. I, I like the uh, I like the setup that we were doing uh, in our pregame before my laptop decided to, uh, to connect to the actual Wi-Fi network here. Uh, go ahead and set that up for me. Yeah, I, I was toying with the idea of calling it supply chain risk to start with, but um, it's actually a little bit broader than that. Um, I'm getting tired of the number of conversations I have with procurement functions that haven't brought their CISO into the process. Um, They're responsible for securing some of these services and applications for large organizations, but security is taking a backseat. And the, the one that really kicked it off was reviewing a large scale project plan that said security under non-functional requirements. And at that point, I really said, well, if you're not securing these applications, then the rest of the functionality doesn't really matter because it's not going to be fulfilling the purpose that it needs. So I wanted to have a conversation about how we bring them in and ensure that they're securing the the enterprise properly. Fair enough. So I I asked at the beginning, right, semi-jokingly, uh, what, what in the world does security have to do, uh, procurement have to do with security? And I think that with all of the, a lot of the breaches we're seeing lately, maybe not all, a lot of the breaches we're seeing lately, uh, the the companies, at least the larger ones, have figured out how to protect themselves reasonably well. But their their vendors, their partners, their software as a service providers, uh, everybody else uh, is not quite there yet. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm going to pose this to you and and I'll let you start it, uh, Tom. And that is, what's your thoughts? Where are we? uh, What have you been seeing uh, in the broad sense? And uh, lay out the problem for me. Yeah. So every organization now, doesn't matter what industry you're in, has some element of tech involved. Um, As we move to 
software as a service, digital transformation, all of these buzzwords that we get asked by journalists to comment on. Um, those vendors that are providing those services are critical to the business operations. But if the security requirements that are brought in aren't clearly articulated, clearly tested before you sign up to these contracts, all of a sudden you've got a weak chink in your armor. So I support large-scale organizations that are spending billions on their cybersecurity um, and, you know, 47 million attacks an hour bouncing off their firewalls, etc. But a third-party provider to them who's got the keys to the kingdom in terms of the domain controllers or whichever admin accounts you want to name, uh, who doesn't have the same level of cybersecurity spending or resilience is all of a sudden providing a backdoor. So that third-party supply chain risk becomes huge. Is this a yeah, difference? Is this a difference between because when I first think about procurement, I think of like that third-party vendor assessment, you know, that that organizations go through that they they do their questionnaire, they do the SIG, they do all these different things, versus the other side of saying, okay, we've procured it. Now is security there to actually make sure that those things are actually being done, right? Like, hey, I've I've validated that I trust what they say they're doing. But now go forth and use the tool. Good luck. We have no idea what you're doing with it. Is that is that kind of where that that shortfall is happening? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's two sides to this. There's the buyer side, which is not necessarily assessing the security of the solution effectively. But there's also the vendor side. Not every vendor is going to be as open and honest, or they're just going to send you a SOC 1, SOC 2 report and say, read that, right? Um, you need a little bit more honesty and openness on both sides of that equation to say, how are you operating this? And being clear about what's the customer's responsibility versus the vendors. So I see a lot of SaaS solutions that say, you don't need to worry about your security. You know, we've got patching taken care of. We've got vulnerability management in place. But the configuration of the tool, the use of it, is still very much within the customer's control. And if they don't configure it securely, it's it can be wide open. So... And same thing if you're bringing something on premise, right? Like, I mean, you're gonna ha- you're gonna install it on site. You're still leaving it up to whatever team purchased that tool to actually secure it. You're a lot of times security teams aren't actually involved once once we get past that procurement phase. Or or if we're unlucky, not involved at all. Yeah. So I've seen I've seen procurement uh, teams, and James, you've probably been part of these discussions where you're brought in either too late or not at all into those procurement decisions. Yeah, one one thing, I, one comment I'd make there too is, I also think there's in some cases there's a misconception to some extent that oh well now we've moved to the cloud and we've moved to this SaaS solution and they're way more secure than we were on prem, and I think that's a really really poor assumption. You know, it, it could be, it could be. I'm not going to say that it's not, but it might not be. <laughs> right? And I do I do think there's a misconception sometimes that oh well. If they're in the SaaS business, they must have security totally locked down because otherwise they won't be in business very long. And I think that's a poor assumption that a lot of a lot of companies make. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You muted, Raf. I have muted myself. Excellent. I'm figuring out technology. Don't mind me. So, James Beeson, you, you've you've done this for a you know we'll say sizable organization once or twice in your life. Uh, how do we get how do we get procurement involved in a meaningful way? I say meaningful because the, we've all filled out the questionnaires, right? The, the, the market uh, is moving towards, uh, you mentioned earlier, pre-record, 
sort of a single source uh, provider. We're trying to get as few providers as possible to get better costs, to get, you know, whatever. We don't want 2,700 different vendors to manage. These things feel like they're at odds with each other. Uh, well, I, I think they are. And as we talked a little bit before we uh, started the, the podcast here, you know, I, my view is, uh, you know, having spent a time in two very big companies is that we've spent the last 10, 15, 20 years, in many cases, very focused on getting to single source providers or getting to one provider for whatever the solution is that you're looking for. And of course, that drives efficiency. You could argue it drives effectiveness to some degree, too. Uh, and the bad news is that now that we've got this additional you know, fragile uh, ecosystem, right? And we have ransomware attacks up, you know, I actually read the stat this morning that said up 68% and over half the ransomware attacks are in the U.S. Uh, now, if you have that kind of an attack on a single source provider that's critical to your business, you're hosed, right? And we talked about the fact that getting them reconnected also takes much longer than it might have in the past because 10 years ago, when you had a problem with the vendor, it's like, oh, you know, somebody, Joe, the farmer cut the cable in the ground and the vendor went down and you're down 24 hours and you can almost survive that and you pull your belt up and, and you know, you get back into operational mode. Now, when you've got a ransomware attack, uh, you know, for, for the two big companies I worked for, we weren't reconnecting you until a third party uh, came in and verified that your environment was clean. Tested, and that yeah. can take a month or longer and in the meantime, the business is screaming, saying, oh, my God, we, we don't have this operation. So I do think now, uh, you know, businesses really need to pay attention to the business continuity side of this. You know, they need to empty empty uh, forget fragility is, is kind of a, the word that I, I kind of like there, which is a, a large word. But it just means make sure your ecosystem and your critical processes don't have aren't so fragile that they easily break, right? I mean, you can't do anything about the fact that some of these suppliers are going to get attacked, but you can help shore up your system so that when you have someone that does, you, you, it doesn't uh, irreparably harm your business processes. Is that something you have to do on your side? Because there's no real way to know. I mean, on the the vendor side, I mean, they'll say whatever they want to say to get the contract, right? I mean, yeah, sure, we're good. We, we've got everything set up. We won't go down for this long or here's our SLA. But I mean, in the end, there's no way to really verify anything that they're saying outside of what they ask. Right? I mean, I guess you could ask to do a test of some sort, but you don't really get good visibility into that. So you kind of have to do all that on your own side of, hey, what like the business continuity of, hey, what happens when this guy goes down? Do we have some sort of backup? for that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, all organizations are going to be different too. Like vendor wise, some you can handle without for a day, others you can't. Yeah. It, yeah. it depends what they're managing for you, right? Um, if it's a critical business process, then I'd, I'd like to see them brought into more red teaming exercises, more tabletops, um, so that as part of that onboarding process, you can prove what your disaster recovery and BCP plans are. Like you've, you've, you've already tested that before you go live with that service because the worst time to find out is when you suddenly find out you can't ship product or you can't fulfill orders. Yeah, and, and I, I feel I, like... know, the, the, the other challenge I would say that, that I've seen and I would love to get you all's perspective is 
there is a there is a continuum here, right? What 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 I've tended to see in the past is if you're a small startup, which in many cases have some of the most innovative solutions because they're a small startup, you typically don't have nearly as formal or sophisticated or robust security program that you do if you're going and doing business with a large mature business that's been in business for multiple years. And one, and you said this, Rob, that one, they tend to, the, the small startups will sign anything, right? Because they're, why not? You know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? Uh, where the large guys typically will push back on things like limits of liability. So I do think that's a, a, that's a criteria that you have to keep in the front of your mind all the time when you're thinking through this. Because in many cases, you want the small, smart, small startup because it's a more innovative solution but then you worry on the back end about the security. So love your perspectives on that. I, I, so having worked, James, having both uh, been on, on the buying side and, and on the seller side, uh, any, I'll tell you, any vendor that accepts unlimited liability uh, isn't giving you anything, right? It's, and I remember uh, when I was at G, we were taught to try to ask for as much liability as we get. But any vendor that said, sure, I'll take, un, you know, uncapped liability, like avoid like to play because, you know, they've got nothing to back that up and you're just going to end up owning a company you don't want. Um, that said, there's got to be somewhere in between where like li- like holding them liable, li- you know, financial liability isn't the only I mean, it's, it's a way to, to, to recover should something go sideways, but I want to not go sideways, right? I, I want to get to the point where I want to ask the right questions and I'm going to take it back to the procurement teams I remember working with. They would look at us and go, yeah, okay, what questions do you, do you want in the questionnaire, right? What questions do you need in the questionnaire? And it was always the same standard questionnaire and you couldn't drop in an entire CIS assessment because <laughs> they're like, that's too much. Right. And, and Tom, to your point, when we were finally invited, it took us a while to get invited to that room. When we were invited, it was keep it short. Um, but I, I think, uh, James Beeson, I think the times since I was on that side of the table till now, given what's transpired, have, have changed. Would you would you agree? I, 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 I would agree. I would agree 100 percent. The, the thing that jumps into my head is, uh, and I, a few people who know me maybe have heard this story, but I, when, when I think about the fact, when we're doing a new negotiation or a new contract with a new supplier, or, you know, frankly, you could make the same argument with any third party. It doesn't have to be a supplier. It could be a partner. It could be a customer, for goodness sake, which, by the way, is a whole other thing, uh, the whole mixture of a lot of times your customers are also your suppliers. But the thing I immediately think of, and my team has heard me say this in the past, is six lawyers in a room, right? And, and let me tell a quick story around that. I, at the end of the day, what you're putting in this contract really is mostly just a CYA. It is a you're covering your butt and I'm covering my butt. And the contract doesn't even normally come into play unless there's a problem. And then there's six lawyers in a room, three on your side of the table and three on my side of the table. And we're all pointing at that SIG going, well, you said in this SIG that you did this, this, and this. So now you have to have more zeros on your cleanup check than I do, right? And I sort of say that teasingly, but it's the truth of the matter, right? 
And it's focusing there. on the wrong thing, right? Where we need to focus on how do together we strengthen the posture of whatever it is. And I know it's very easy for me to say that. It's very difficult to operationalize it, but it is the right way to think about it, right? And it gets to the old, old tagline of win-win, right? We try to create a win-win if they're a smaller startup. Can we go in and help them shore up their security practices, which not only help them, but help us? You know, and I know one of the things that I did for a while at Cigna, as a matter of fact, is I did take a closer look at the old Venn diagram that says, and by the way, these suppliers, they're also customers of ours. And that creates a whole nother dynamic that has to be thought through. But one of the things we did, and I, I don't even mind saying live who we used to begin with was Gene Sun over at FedEx. So FedEx was not only a customer, they're a big supplier. So Gene Sun and I got our together, we got our teams together, we shared some best practices. And so we tried to work to make it life better for both of us. And I think that's where we need to be trying to go and where we need to try to be focused as opposed yeah, to six lawyers in the room. Yeah, but can you do that at so at the scale that some of these come? I think that's what you're going to ask, Jerry. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean, I was going that same direction. Scale right? like, is I, the problem. How, do you get the how scale many of- vendors can you meet that way? Like how many yeah. can you realistically and, get together with like And that? how many vendors can handle that many customers meeting with them that way? Right? Like mm-hmm. if I'm a vendor with a thousand customers, how do I scale being able to work with every single one, which probably have conflicting things? One says do this, one says do that. Like it becomes a really difficult thing. Uh even to Tom, your point of the, you know, red teaming with them and doing this stuff, like all of a sudden. you're spending your whole time just trying to do that stuff. You don't even get to work on the business anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to be driven by the customer, right? If the customers are asking for more diligence and more demonstration that they're taking your risks seriously to your organization, um, then the salespeople on the vendor side to get that sale are going to start taking this stuff more seriously. Um, And you were absolutely right. Like the vendor assessment piece, how often is it a box ticking exercise for an organization? Do you do security and awareness testing? Do you run a vulnerability management? And some of these questionnaires are so out of date, they're still asking us if we reset passwords every 30 days, right? Um, So there there needs to be a more qualitative assessment. And I think that only comes through us educating the procurement functions better to be able to do that at scale. They need to understand, back to my original point, that these are not non-functional requirements for the organization. These are absolute must-hits within that procurement process that the applications, the services provided need to be secured. And we need to do a qualitative assessment against those vendors to show, show that they understand that as well. So, okay. I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because now that I'm on on the other side of this, um, you want to do the right thing, right? You you want to do the thing that's, that's best. Um, how? How? Because you've got the scale problem, you've got the specificity problem, which is you can't ask all your vendors and your partners the same question. You've got the inbound problem from your customers and your partners. How do we do this at a reasonable scale? Because if you say, and I've tried, I've seen this approach. If you say we're only going to focus on the large vendors, I've got a fifteen hundred vendors, but I'm only focus on the top four this year. That's 1,400 
uh, and 96 that are a risk. Are they any less, James Beeson, to your point, are they any less risky than the small ones than the big ones? Maybe not. Maybe they're worse. How do you figure that out? Where do you start? Because this is the thing that I think uh, I'm I'm I, I just don't know a good answer to. I'm I'm dying to hear what you guys think. James, well, you want to take that one first? <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to I'm happy to take a shot and then jump in, Tom. Please, um, I you know you want to use an analogy, vulnerabilities. Okay. So tell me how it's different, right? It, it, it isn't, in my opinion, right? So just like everything else, age-old tagline, risk-based approach. You're right. That, you know, if we, if we can only do uh, four major you know, overviews or assessments every year, it's only going to take me 65 years to get through all my vendors. You can't look at it that way. You have to look at it with the business, and you have to say, what are the critical processes and, 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 you know, unfortunately, there's not as good yet, because and I think that's just a maturity thing. There isn't as good of a process today around suppliers across the supply chain. I think we'll get there, but it, it doesn't exist today. So you have to sort of figure out your own calculus or your own algorithm for how you're going to determine which ones are the most critical and where should we focus that time, right? Uh, there's, and if you think about uh, vulnerabilities, you know, 20 years ago, everybody just sort of said, well, is this important or not? Now there's pretty good, um, a pretty good process to help determine the criticalness of a vulnerability. And then you, you sort of take the general process across the environment on vulnerabilities, and then you have your own internal layer that you put on it to say, yeah, but is it that critical for me? And then you have a process around that. So again, I, I don't want to dive too deep, but I do think you have to take a similar approach. You cannot scale. I do think it'll mature over time, and some of the some of the players, the security scorecards, the bit size, some of these players that are in the space to help you better understand who's more risky than somebody else, those things will mature as well and will probably give us additional help to uh, make it easier to determine which ones are the most important or need to be focused on. That was pretty long-winded there. Pile on here, Tom. <laughs> no, you, you absolutely hit it. It's, a, it's tied to risk. It all has to be. What What is this vendor operating on behalf of my business? And is it a business critical function? If if they're looking after the email servers and I can cope without email for two days, fine. But if if it's my supply chain and, uh, and my just-in-time production gets interrupted because that system or that service goes down uh, and then the cost gets measured in the millions of dollars an hour, I've got to take a look at that risk equation and say, they are operating a critical process. I need to focus on that vendor first. Okay. It's, it's an interesting spot though, right? Because I mean, you think about business functionality, all that stuff, but what if we were to go back a few years and say, well, it's just our HVAC vendor that happens to have access into our system, right? I mean, so, you know, it's, it's again, like it is figuring out that risk, but sometimes the greatest risk is something that doesn't even tie into any of our processes. And it, you know, it's something else. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that, you know, that that piece is giving access into our system. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. we spent all this time on the stuff that we thought was critical 
And, you know, it's always that, right? The one low that that became critical at that one moment. But every moment before that, it was considered a low. Yeah, but a, a decent vendor in that conversation is going to understand that they have the keys to the kingdom um, and that they need to demonstrate that they're putting controls in place. The, one of the things that helps is that we're actually getting a little bit of external push for this now. Um, there's legislative pushes to hold vendors to account for the risk and to share the accountability. Um, and I think that will, over time, hopefully ensure that uh, on both sides of the equation, we're taking a lot more seriously and putting the controls in place. But we, are, we all see it, right? How many CISOs are sat in the board and having the risk management discussions? It's, it's still not as many as it should be. There's a gap between the controls that are operated within the InfoSec organization and the risks that are being managed down from the exec suite. James Beeson, I got a question for you because I, I'm hearing sure. this conversation. And again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of devil's advocate in, in this conversation uh, for the time being because I am thinking of the chats I've had where I have said, we cannot bring this vendor aboard this is a hazard. Like these are, this vendor is a hazard. They clearly don't have an, security controls in place. They've never thought about it. And the business go, and the line of business goes, yeah, but that's the only vendor that does this make it work. Mm-hmm. So then what? Uh, it's like anything else. You've got to figure out what kind of box or what kind of, you know, what, what kind of uh, mitigating controls you can put in place. And I hate that that sounds oversimplified, but it is kind of the truth, right? I mean, you, because, and we talked about this a few minutes ago, right? A lot of times it is those smaller companies that are, you know, super innovative, but don't have the mature processes yet, which is a lot of times where you run into that. And the business says, they're the only one doing it. It's a brand new thing. And we are going to lose out to our competitors if we don't bring this process in. And all you can do is try to come up with you, know, you work with the business to enable them to try to figure out how do we put mitigating controls around this. And, you know, James, you mentioned the HVAC, uh, you know, which all, all of us uh, immediately connect. But you know what? That's a two way street. So, I, you know, I don't I totally don't I don't blame the HVAC company for that either. Right. It's not that hard in today's world to have a mitigating control. Why would you ever have been able to get to the critical systems that they were able to get to from that? Why wouldn't they only be allowed access in? So again, I, you know, you hate to say it's security 101, but it kind of is. It's, you need a layered approach. You need more than one control. And when you have those, because you're, you're not going to win that battle, Ralph, at the end of the day, you're not winning that. If yeah. the business says we need Joe Blow, you know, process to come in, yeah. you are absolutely pushing water uphill if you think you're going to be able to convince them that security is, it's kind of the same thing with acquisitions. Oh yeah, let's not do this deal because they don't have good security. That isn't the right approach. In my opinion, the approach needs to be, these guys are more risky than we would have preferred and certainly have a riskier posture than us. Here's the gap between those two postures. What can we do to mitigate that gap until we can bring, bring those postures closer together? All right, so I'll bring this back to let's be prescriptive. Uh, let's apply this to mid-size enterprise and, and at, at the end, maybe smaller size organizations. What does uh, how do you 
prescriptively make that relationship between the CISO, 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 and uh, the procurement organization. Uh, you know, what can you do short term, long term? How do you how do you bridge that? Um, how do you long term? Yeah, long term, I'd like to see a shared accountability model. Um, okay. I, I'd like whoever signs that deal and nickel and dimes the security out of it um, to be accountable for the breach that happens three years down the line. Now, that's a pipe dream. Uh, but short term to get that, there needs to be greater partnership between the InfoSec organization, uh, better education of the procurement functions. Like you said, we can't do this at scale not within InfoSec, but what we can do is make sure that those requirements are captured and, and formalize the processes by which security is engaged in any, I want to say large-scale procurement process. Um, it's not just the RFPs, it's not just the multi-million dollar deals, but there needs to be a formalized engagement mechanism where you have at least assessed the security practices in, involved in what you're doing. And as James pointed out, like tie that back to the business risk that's involved in that. So almost do your business impact assessment as part of your procurement process. What are we buying? What is the risk associated to it? How, what does our level of control need to be? And, and, and the only, the only pile on, I, perfect. That's exactly what I would have said. Shared goals, right? Shared goals. Uh, you know, which I know sometimes with procurement, we have opposite goals. You know, they're trying to get dollars, right, or, or uh, increase their uh, diverse, uh, diverse business uh, spend or whatever it is that can work against us. But it is about the communications and the trust to get that you build between the two environments to share goals. The only other uh, comment I was going to make was that um, remember a common ground. And I think in most big companies, I don't know about, uh, you know, I, I know my two big companies, third party risk management was right there. I mean, we are running first and second place in the biggest risk in the company. You know, who's going to win this quarter? Is it going to be cybersecurity is the biggest risk or procurement and third party is the biggest risk? So my point is just they're always way up there in the upper right hand corner of the risk quadrant. So you, that's a very, that's a goal you have in common, you know, because there's a heck of a lot more risk to third party than just cyber, right? So I, I think that that's a way to try to, you know, build a stronger or tighter relationship with your is there, procurement team. Is, is there lack though? I mean, it seems like it's both sides. Like procurement doesn't really have the awareness that they need of how security fits in their side, but also, you know, half that, I don't want to say blame, can be put on the CISO side of being able to say, hey, you're not coming in here and being able to effectively drive that change and show, hey, this is how we should fit in here, right? I mean, there's kind of those two sides to that puzzle. And I don't know, maybe it's a toss up of nobody really wants to be the one to, to step across the dance floor here and say, hey, we need to start addressing this, right? Because that becomes that selling point, you know, as a CISO, that is your role is to be able to sell hey, this is our stuff that has to be in here and this is why it's important. But also when we talk about like annual trainings and role-based trainings, what training is out there for procurement procurement to be able to know like, hey, this is where security fits in my stuff. This is why it's important. Because without that or without CISOs coming over or security coming over, they have no idea, oh, hey, I have to go do this. I don't know that it's non-functional versus functional you know, how, how do we figure out who is making that first step to be able to help drive that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's we keep talking about the CISO, but it's it's everybody on the IT side's responsibility, right? Um, and a lot of this is driven sort of out of the CTO office, actually, because the CISO is busy putting out fires in stuff that's already been built. We need to release them to be more strategically engaged with that um, so that they can start to determine this isn't a non-functional requirement. Like before you even talk about the functionality of the solution, are we about to open our business up to massive interruption? Um, because we can't trust the database security of these guys or we can't trust their operations. Then there needs to be the partnership to say, okay, well, if that is one of those vendors that we have to engage, that we can't say no to, how do we partner with them to improve them? And I think James uh, B, you, uh, you highlighted that. Like some of your vendors are also your customers and you can work hand in hand to improve that security posture. So I think you're right, James, Jadine. Um, it needs to be both sides, but I think that that comes back to the shared accountability model. If there's no incentive for everybody to join in, then we've got to create that. Yeah. This yes. is, the only problem you run into with shared accountability is if everybody says, oh, it's shared, nobody says, oh, it's mine. Right. And, and then, nobody's accountable. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. everybody's sitting there staring at it, thinking somebody else is coming for it. Yeah. yeah. Guys. What's the role of that automation plays in this? Because uh, a lot of this sounds like it's manual process. It can't be like, it just can't be that doesn't, it doesn't work in any meaningful way. Like James Beeson, you know, risk-based analysis on 10,000 vendors. Like you'll be done sometime today after never. How do you automate some of this? Are there platforms for this? Do you pull it straight out of SAP or, or your, your preferred procurement app or do you have a third part is there third party software we don't need to name names but are there third parties that do this like what what's the way to do this that and i'm, gonna, I'm specifically asking that does not mean spreadsheet <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm i'm i'm, I'm with you uh, oh you know I, I, there, there are uh you know I, I and i said this earlier right the, my if you if we're going to use school as the yardstick here i'd say we're in about the third grade right that's my, my, my Jim Bob assessment of kind of where we are in the maturity of this. So there are platforms, there are plenty of platforms that help procurement teams, pretty massive platforms that just help you understand where, you know, all of the contract language and everything associated with that. Um, the, and, and then there are platforms, I mentioned a couple earlier, security scorecard, this are just as examples that, you know, and I think over time, this is going to mature where the existing procurement platforms have more cybersecurity related uh, components to them and probably the cybersecurity focused you know platforms are going to end up with more wider third-party risk management pieces of data so i feel like this is my view is this is still pretty immature uh, and the risk is moving faster than the maturity of the platforms and I, I don't know if we'll see a swing. You know, my guess is we will because almost everybody's got third-party risk management as one of their top priorities. So I suspect we'll see more money, more investment, more time put into how do we accelerate the maturity of some of these platforms that can help us. Because you're 100% right. You can't do this manually. What you can do is you can begin to narrow down the risk-based approach and begin to create a Pareto so that then the human can step in and go, okay, 
that you know does this pass the litmus test? Uh, are we is, focused on the right vendors? Is there is is there is there a pivot point then, an inflection point in history that's coming or that's has happened, or is there a catalyst for this? Because third party risk has been, it should have been, and has been on the, on the radar of CISOs at least a decade as as a big deal, right? At least a decade. Yeah. Um, what suddenly made it urgent that it's something's going to change today? Well, go ahead, Tom, please. After you. you. We've got increased digitization, right? Companies that were never tech companies are now relying on third parties to run their business, whether it's in SaaS, whether it's in managed service provision, hosting providers, et cetera. So that's driving some of this. Um, What I think we can take a little bit more of a steer from some of the other highly regulated industries out there. So if you're dealing with like global financial transactions, um, there's business partner screening that can happen at the time of the transaction in a few milliseconds that assesses everybody in that uh, transactional chain and says, are any of them you know, in breach of global financing of terror or anti-bribery and corruption or uh, anti-money laundering legislation, right? There's nothing stopping us, including cybersecurity metrics, to your point, James, um, as part of those vendor evaluation pieces. And we should be able to do that transactionally and automate that the same way that we do for financial processing. 100%. Okay. And the, 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 only, the only thing I would just pile on there a little bit is there are two big things that are driving the change. You talked about the pivot there, Rob. Two things, and we've already, we've talked about them a little bit. First of all, there's the acceleration of digitization, right? And you can argue that the COVID, the pandemic, I argue, accelerated that, right? So yeah, in true. 2020, everybody started to go, "Oh crap, we better figure out how to digitize." And so, that's fair. you know, many companies now are much more digitally connected. Number one, number two. Almost all the software vendors on the planet are moving to a SaaS model away from, a, oh, you buy a piece of software, here's the CD-ROM loaded up on your server and run it yourself. So those are two massive changes that I think are the inflection point. And then the other one is the threat landscape, and we talked about that. Number one risk out there right now for most big companies is ransomware, right? Huge uh, impact, a 68% increase in 2023. Half of the, all the ransomware attacks happened in the U.S. So that's also changed the game and caused the need for a very accelerated you know, look at how do we improve or mitigate the controls here. My, my point of view. How long does that, how long do we have? Because I, I think if it's one thing we know for sure is when you have a catalyst event, the horizon uh, for when people forget and go back to the uh, and forget the, the catalyst and go back to the old ways, it's, eh, it, it's good enough. It's fine. Uh, it is shrinking. How long do we have? To, how long is the iron hot and how long do we have to strike on this? Um, I think the threat actors are actually helping us out there because we get a new news story every day. <laughs> um, we get apathy eventually though, right? You do, you do but that... The number of large organizations that are investing when one of their uh, competitors takes a breach, right, um, is driving change in the industry. We're in risk management, ultimately. We don't invest unless the uh, the scales tip in, in favor of actually yeah. spending on these controls. But stealing a competitive advantage in your marketplace is always going to be what drives the business forward. And it's ultimately what we're 
what's going to help us in this space. Uh, that's a fair point. The interest is more too, though, on the business side, Ralph. I think from a news perspective, right? If you were to walk to anybody down the street and be like, "Oh, look at all this stuff that's on the news," they don't care, right? I mean, that okay, somebody had fifty thousand records breached or five hundred billion records breached, and yours was part of it. I think that has less effect than organizations using that internally to say, "Hey, look at this breach. We could be them." That's going to drive that much further within the organization and worrying about did the customer care? Yes, there's lawsuits that that come through that. But I think from a general public standpoint, the organization has much more stake in watching those headlines and helping that drive. I think to Tom's point, you know, those news headlines are driving that. But I think it's driving it from the business side. It's not driving it from the consumer side. Because like you said, like with apathy out there and everything, People just like, okay, another fifth, you know, 500 billion records gone, like whatever, you know? <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and of course the bad guys, the, the bad guys are not, the one thing they aren't is stupid. Right. And, uh, and again, I don't, I don't have the data to back this up. So please take it as a Jim Bob statistics here, but I would bet that the data would show that there's also been a shift by the bad guys. It doesn't mean they're not focused on big companies, but guess what? They figured it out. Oh, wait. The supply chain is critical to these big companies, and these smaller companies are a lot easier to, to, to get into in many cases because they don't have the same level of security program. They don't have yeah. the funds. They don't have the robustness. And even if they had the funds, there's not enough people out there. We don't have enough uh, people to fill all the roles in, in security. So the bad guys are also smart. They have figured out you know, how to how to go down, you know, and target more SMBs. And of course, never mind the fact there's thousands more of those than there are big giant companies. So we used to say all the time in the trainings, you know, you talk about it, like, am I going to go after a city or a chase? Or am I going to go after one of the small people that work with a city or chase, right? Like, I'm not going after the ones that are spending a billion dollars a year on cybersecurity. I'm going to go after the mom and pop shop that's sitting out there not spending a dime on cybersecurity that has access into them. That has the same yeah, access. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and now, and now, I'm going to do the research so that I'm not going after the mom and pop that has no money to speak of. I'm going to have done the research, and this mom and pop has twenty million dollars in the bank, so I know they can afford yeah. to pay the ransom, right? I mean, they're they're a much much in well, not news, or they're much more sophisticated than they were, and it, and that's going to also continue to get more sophisticated, right? Which makes me, which yeah, makes it urgent rough. to your point, Rob. <laughs> makes it urgent. Yeah, right? that, that, urgent. so urgency is good. I, I I like market urgency because it creates change, it forces change. The question that keeps coming, I keep coming back to, is: Are we smart enough to capitalize on that moment of urgency? Um, and I, 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 the answer is: I hope. We, to me, the answer is: I hope so, right? Because. I, <sighs> What happens when you're really good at securing your borders? Somebody builds a Trojan horse and drives it in, right? As part as your vendor, so that's I, I think that that's going to continue to be a a increasing vector of threat for us as enterprises, small, medium, and large. And in order to get to the answers of first getting to where, where do I look first, right? Where's, how do I do that risk equation? Where do I look first? How do I identify where my biggest risks are? How do I quantify which of my vendors is attached to the most important business processes? Because I'm not confident that 
over 50% of security teams, by and large, if you survey the entire industry, could tell you their top five security or business processes as it relates to not security, but the company's health and, and sustainability. So to then say, oh, now pick the you know 10 vendors or the vendors associated with the top five business critical processes that you don't know exist. So there's, I feel like there's a leveling up that's going to, that needs to happen, Yeah, but it's, ha- it's going to happen in concert with the leveling up of the CISO, right? Because as we're seeing, uh, Joe DB has mentioned, the trend that he's con- most concerned about is as CISOs start to get held accountable for these, for some of these breaches, right? To the point of like maybe being prosecuted, that means that we have to level up your business acumen your security understanding and your corporate understanding, not just your security, you know, your, your geek speak and your, and your security talent. So that's, for, that's, I think that there's a lot of forcing factors here, but I think ultimately we need automation. We need better third-party visit, third-party external visibility. I don't think scanning external IP address space. And, you know, I, I've, I've used all, both of those vendors, James, you mentioned, and they both suck for the same reasons. And, and But yes, it's a great place to start unless you're on one of those lists where where you get like, hey, you're vulnerable to blah, 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 blah. You're like, none of that is my IP space. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Um, right? So how do we create less chaos, improve the signal to noise ratio, and automate? I think that's those are the three things that that gets us from the God help us place we are today to maybe five years down the road, I'd like to be 30% better. And yeah. Rav, to add one more thing to what you're saying, because I feel like this sure. whole conversation has been about initial procurement, right? And nothing to do with the ongoing. When you use your border wall example of what happens 20 years down the, the road when your wooden wall that you haven't done anything to is now rotten and doesn't actually do anything that it was supposed to do. You know, what's that process look like setting us up for episode two here? What's that whole process look like for, okay, you've got somebody on, what do you do ongoing to make sure that the security is staying in place and things aren't changing? And there didn't happen to be that RDB connection before, but now all of a sudden there is two years down the road. Continuous assessment, man. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Look guys, that initial one's going to be hard enough. Keeping up with it. <laughs> well, it, it gets back to your, your gets, Yeah. So you probably need me to it there. So it just gets back to your point of the need for automation. And, and although, you know, there is room for improvement for the players in the space, I, you know, I'm going to give them some credit for at least they're a player in the space. Right. And, and so there, there is money, you know, being put into, how do we mature these processes and how do we make them more concrete? I mean, again, I, I hate to use this as an analogy, but it, it does spark some thought in your brain. Think about the first time, you know, we think, think about 40 or 50 years ago, how credit, you know, was happening. It was a similar, it's a similar environment. The only reason you've got credits because you were Joe, the farmer, and you knew the banker at the First National Bank yeah. of Fredonia, Kansas. And you went in and because they knew you, you know, they loaned you $5,000 to buy a tractor or a new piece of farmland. There was no credit reporting, right? And as credit became, I'm just saying, right, we, we think about where we've that's gotten a good, That's a good today, approach. I like it. And, and, and it isn't perfect, but it's pretty good, right? And the data shows 
that using those credit scores is a pretty damn good indicator of whether or not you're going to get your money back. So we need to get to the same place, but realize it took 20, 30 years, right, for that to mature out to where it is today. Yeah. Fair hopefully, enough. I get and, some. And I, I hopefully, think, I get some. I get some thumbs up from the credit agencies out there that I'm pushing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Listen, I, I think the two things we want to talk about potentially next time is long term. You know, how do we do this long term? Continuous improvement, continuous assessment, not just one time. Um, I like this credit rating idea. I, there's something to be said there, right? Uh, maybe it has to do with cyber insurance and and, and being able to get a rating, your cybersecurity efficacy rating from Moody's or something. Uh, God help us if we get that wrong. Uh, all right. I like it. I like it. Guys, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for joining me for the last, I don't know, 50 or so, 49 minutes or so. Uh, we, 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 we have to do this again. We have to, we have to do a follow-up uh, because we're, we're nowhere near done. <laughs> well, I think we're like, a half, we're like an hour into a two-hour conversation. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. James Beeson, Important thanks space. for sharing your experience, man. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, as usual, uh, you, you, you've got truck tons of it. And so thanks for spending just a, just a little bit of time here with us. Tom, uh, same to you. Thanks for spending time. James, uh, co-host James, uh, <laughs> once again, an episode that starts, let's just, let's just poke a topic turns into, all right, we've got it. We've got a series going. <laughs> it's a good thing we put time limits on these things. Cause we'd be here all day. I think <laughs> literally all day. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe put, putting all people right, to folks. sleep. The bad news is that long. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'd have had more time. I'd have written a shorter novel, right? As, as the old saying goes. Well, that's a good thing. We yeah. should do this. We, we need to put this out at night. We could just talk all night. People will fall asleep with us <laughs> talking in their ears, and they'll get it while they're sleeping. They'll wake up and be like, wow, why am I thinking about all this? It's brilliant. Like that's it. hilarious. Uh, all right. <sighs> Let's end there. Thanks for listening, you guys. This has been another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast with my guest James Beeson and Mr. Tom Venables. Uh, we've been talking about uh, – procurement's role in cybersecurity. Let's just say this is part one of more than one. And we'll see where it goes. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys another time, another place on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. And uh, we'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye. Cue the music. See ya. This is Bella. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave my dad a review and share this with your friends. Bye. Oh,